here's the thing in film school, I saw network. I mean, let's, let's talk, let's talk uh, Lomet. You just said Lomet, Sydney. Yeah. Serpico's a funny movie. Dog Afternoon is funny. Yeah, that's right. Network, oh my God. There's always been great films that had, had very serious subject matter and humor. But yeah. here's the key, especially young filmmakers, you have to get the right balance. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode features the DGA Special Projects Committee's recent event, The Craft of the Director, Spike Lee. This series of conversations with master filmmakers features an in-depth discussion about the directing process, from pre-production through post. Mr. Lee's many directorial credits include the feature films She's Gotta Have It, Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Chirac, and To Five Bloods, the feature documentary Four Little Girls, and episodes of the series She's Gotta Have It. He was nominated for the DGA's Feature Film Award for his 2018 feature Black Klansman and was awarded with the DGA Honors in 2002. Please enjoy Mr. Lee's conversation with fellow director and frequent collaborator John Tortoro in front of a virtual audience, wherein they discuss how he drew inspiration for She's Gotta Have It from Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon, and Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless, and how he works to find the balance between humor and drama in his films. Turo! Hey, Mr. Spike, <laughs> Mr. Lee. So I'm talking how you to you doing? from London. How, how, how's, how's London town? I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm, I'm filming with my mask on and off, and uh, we're, we're, we're doing all right. Yeah, I'm speaking to you from uh, the world headquarters of 40 Acres of Mule in the People's Republic of Brooklyn, New York. All right. You're a resident also. That's right. I, I, I send my love to Brooklyn. You're, you're next, next neighborhood over. Next neighborhood. Next, next neighborhood. neighborhood. I'm in within, within walking distance. Yes, we, don't want, we want to determine what, what neighborhood, but you're close. <laughs> you're close or green. Very close. So, okay, so now I'm going to be the moderator here. So I'm going to be uh -oh. like, like David Suskind. Uh -oh. <laughs> uh, so I have a lot of questions that they gave me to, to ask you. And I guess the first question. Where, where are your questions? You can't be reading just what, what they uh, Yeah, but I, I'll riff off. I'm going to riff off those questions. So, yeah. You're going to freestyle? I'll freestyle a little bit without <laughs> without rhyming. I'm not Lin Manuel Miranda man, so uh, or, or Biggie, or Biggie. Yes, Come on. I am from I am from Hollis, so that's from you know that's the oh, Run DMC LL. Right. All right, okay. all right. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the first question uh, I ask you is uh, what kind of I guess everyone must. Not no matter who, what director it is, you know how they became a director, or what inspired you to think, well, yeah, I mean, you know what, I I like to be in charge of this, you know what I mean, or or it, was there a person or or something within your childhood that felt just that gave you the inclination of like, wow, that would be the right thing for me to do. Well, that's what I want to do. Well, the seed was planted by my, my late mother, Jacqueline Shelton Lee. She was a cinephile, loved movies, 
and my father, who's still with us, hated Hollywood movies. Right. So since, so John, since I was the eldest, I was my mother's movie date. Mm. So, but my father, my father, my mother was taking me to not just movies, but the Broadway plays and museums. And my father was taking me to Man Square Garden. So my love of sports came from my father and my love yeah. of, uh, and, you know, and music and, and, and love of arts, you know, film. Do you have a film that you remember with you that you saw oh, yeah. with, with your mother? My you mother said- took me to see, took me to Ray City, Ray, this is a crazy story. My mother took me to Ray City Music Hall, Easter Sunday to see Bye Bye Birdie. And it wasn't until after a couple of years after Do the Right Thing, it clicked that Rosie Perez dancing <laughs> Do the Right Thing came from Anne Margaret. Well, Anne <laughs> Margaret is- in, in open credit sequence. Right. And remember, that came out Absolutely. 63. I was 63. 60, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, I was close. six years old. I was six, I was six years old. Yeah, right, okay. But it it's came out in 63. Right, that's right. Wow. So it, it must have been stuck way, way, way deep, deep, deep in my cranial. Well, you know, that I have to say, I mean, I'm not going to go into it. Those are like two of my favorite sequences. Because I saw that movie too. I saw it at, not at Radio City Music Hall. I saw it in a drive-in theater. <laughs> With driving where in uh somewhere in Queens, John. Uh, I've never been to a driving to this summer in my life. Really, in your life, Marley's Marley's Vineyard. I saw Jaws in Marley's Vineyard, (laughs) and I introduced uh, Do the Right Thing and the Inside Man, but I've never been to a driving in my life. Right. To this summer, right. to this pandemic summer. Well, we, well, we, we'll, no, see, you live in Queens. There ain't no drivers in Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, that's right. They didn't, we didn't have them in Hollis, dude, but they were in another neighborhood, like in Valley Stream. You'd have to drive out there. So. Is, is it wow. Valley Stream, Long Island? Yeah, but I, we lived in Rosedale. We moved from Hollis. No, but where's the driving, though? The driving was in, in, in Valley Stream. It wasn't so you in, went to Long Island? Yeah, that's right. Well, it's part of Long Island anyway. <laughs> well, wow, that, that's really John, fascinating. John, you know what? The people are like, I hope John and Spike don't get this New York kid. We're never going to get it. <laughs> well, that's, that's just too bad. That's too bad. Too bad, right? <laughs> yeah, it's too bad. Because Queens is way further away from Manhattan, you know, intellectually. You know? It's the Manhattan, outer boroughs, right? right? Yeah, it's like a... It's like a well, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you count? Do you can't? Do you count Staten Island? Staten Island, it was an island, and I still think of it as an island. Oh, uh, you don't count it then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't count either. But Staten Island has a fascinating history. You know? yeah. yeah, but the only, the only, the only, the only, way I, only count Wu Tang. That's it. That's <laughs> Wu Tang, yeah. and other than that, Staten Island. Uh-uh. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not trying to expand your horizons into Staten Island. You know? That's all right. So, okay, so, so that's but really that, but that, but that's really that's a true story. 
Wow. And, and it wasn't until a couple of years after doing do the right thing, and I and I had and I teach at NYU, and I had this particular class was about opening credit sequences. Right. And when I showed that open credit sequence from Bob Barberia, I said, Eureka. <laughs> Well, you know, that really did, did burn something into your brain. And I was not aware of it. Yeah, but that's that's part of your, you know, your DNA, man. It's part of your deep subconscious. And, and another funny thing is that uh, I got to tell Ann Margaret on the phone. She, she enjoyed that story. Ann Margaret is vastly underrated. Yeah. Yes, vastly underrated. And back in the day, she was fine, too. Oh, my God. I was, that was one of my first... My first loves. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to get in trouble on this uh, thing. Right here. John, did you hear me? Did you see me say? Yeah. Keep it on the low. <laughs> well, I am keep, it the, keep it on the low, low. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really that's really really interesting. That those are two of my favorite, uh, you know, uh, opening sequences. But you have a lot of great opening sequences. In, yeah, in I, I, I uh, for me, John. And again, another thing, my love of open credit sequence comes from James Bond. Yeah. My mother, would take me, my mother would take me to James Bond movies. Right. So all this stuff with my mother, I don't know I want to be a filmmaker. I'm six, seven, eight years now. I mean, she just take me to the movies. So right. me being a filmmaker is not even, I don't even think about that. Right. But to get back over the credit sequences, I think that it's this valuable time you have to get the audience in the right mindset. Right. I know you contractually you gotta do who did this and whatnot and credits, but I wanna use that opportunity over credit sequence to get the audience, get their mind right, their mindset. So get in tune with what right. you're about to see. That's right. All right. Well, you, you do that quite. So, so I'll list some I like. Malcolm X, that's that's good credit over credit sequence. He got game. Jungle fever. Yeah, I mean, that's enough. And then, not bamboozle. No, you know. <laughs> okay. Bamboozle and credits. Yeah. We had all those blackface figurines. Right. Right. We'll get to talk about bamboozle. Yeah, but and when we do that, let's talk about a little bit of uh, Thomas Jefferson Bird when we get the bamboozle. Okay. And, and clockers, too. And, and clockers. Well, 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 clockers has a great uh, opening sequence, too. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, we'll say you know, one of the, yeah. I, I worked with a great cinematographer, a great Italian cinematographer who worked with Fellini and all these movies. And he, I told you about him, Pasqualino De Santis. I worked with him on the movie La Tregua. And uh, he was, uh, oh, you know, he was the operator on La Dolce Vita and uh, Eight and a Half. And he shot for Visconti and Francesco, you know, Bresson. He was a huge fan of yours. I, I probably told you this in the night. He, he, he passed away. Yeah, he he died in the middle of the movie we were we were making. He had a heart attack. Uh, 
On the set? Uh, in his hotel room. Ooh. In his hotel room. In the, God bless, in the, God bless. And, but he was a huge, a huge fan of yours. Yeah. And he was like one of those guys that was an older guy. He was in his 70s. But he was really interested in, in you know, who was doing, you know, things that was extending the form. You know what I mean? Because he had worked with all these fantastic directors. Yeah. And uh, he really, really, and he loved the opening sequence from Clockers. I remember him talking to me about that. Now, uh, do you remember how Salwin, he was on the, he was in the, he was in the scene with you. He was taking the pictures. Yeah. He is, I mean, that was his job. Right. To take pictures of dead bodies. Right. So he let me look in the book, and so the 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 the, the uh, those photographs you see in overcredit sequence are based upon the real homicide photographs which he right. took, right? And that was some gruesome stuff. Yeah, I I, I rode with those homicide guys when we did that movie. Yeah, <laughs> I was the lucky actor on that movie. <laughs> Everyone else, nothing ever happened. Every time I went with the homicide squad, there was a murder. Every single time. I mean, yeah, so what that's for clockers? For clockers. Or another movie. No, for clockers. You did it for clockers? Three murders, I saw. I mean, yeah. the guy was, the guys were dead already. Yeah. By the third murder, they said, you could you're gonna start taking fingerprints now. I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> All right. So whoa, now whoa, 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 hold on. Were the murders in Queens or in Brooklyn? They were in, uh, I think, Manhattan, Brooklyn. Uh, Bronx. Yeah, yeah one in the Bronx. Bronx. Yeah, yeah. One was a guy who robbed a gas station uh, with a water pistol. And the guy shot him, the guy who ran the gas station. And he was, and then, of course, they were making jokes about it because that's what they they make, we have to, we had to, they're always Steve making jokes. Steve White. They're always, yeah. where that comes from, you know? Yeah, that's that's it. That, that's how it is. So did you ever think, uh, you know, so now you're like kind of, you, know, you went to school, okay, you know, when you decided, okay, well, I'm going to study film eventually. You, right. right? Uh, did you ever think while you were studying and you say, well, you think, I don't know, man, am I going to like make a living at this, you know, you know, yeah, you know undergrad or, or NYU, more, more house either one, either one, NYU. either, either one, when you were thinking about it, I was going to be like, bet, I was going to be like from Bed-Stuy, do or die. Right. <laughs> you know, one way to other. Once I committed, you know, I was like all in. Do you remember that moment when you kind of like felt like say, you know what, this is it, man. This is what I'm, I'm not. It, it, it really happened, John, during the summer of that, and you know this, you know what I'm talking about. John, the summer of 1977. Oh, wow. I remember that summer. I did not, New York City was broke. Okay. I came back from Atlanta where Morehouse is, come back to New York to work, and there were no jobs. And one of my dear friends, her name is Vieta Johnson. She, I went over her house, See, I had nothing to do. I said, let me see what she's happy. Let's see what she's doing. When I came over there, she was sitting in the living room studying because uh, she wanted to be, she was, she went to Princeton undergrad, was in Princeton, but she's studying, she's going to be a doctor. So she eventually went to Harvard Med School and she's a doctor now in Chicago. But anyway, we're sitting in the living room and I look in the corner 
And there's a camera. I said, what is that? She says, the Super 8 camera. I look in the other corner of the apartment of the living room and there's a box of Super 8 film. I said, what is that? She says, Super 8 film. I said, Vieta, what, what are you doing with that? I said, nothing. I'm, you know, I'm going to be a doctor. Think I have it? Yeah, take it. True story of my mother's grave. So now I had something to do. So I spent the whole summer running around in this, I mean, New York City in 77, that summer was bananas. We had the blackout. Blackout. It was the first summer disco. So on every weekend there were block parties where the DJs would hook up their turntables and speakers to their turntable. Then you had David Berkowitz. That's right. Son of Sam. That's right. And then as this, the, the spirit of God would have it, I would eventually, many years later, make a movie about that summer. That's right. That was some summer, man. Was Crazy. Summer. <laughs> Crazy summer. People don't realize the Yankees coming all the way back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot the Yankees out. I love the, the Yankees, Yankees too. The, the, <laughs> mayor, the, the, the you remember the, the mayoral race? Bella Abza, Percy Sutton, yeah. Cuomo, and Koch. Those was the four of them. And that was the summer, the famous Daily News front page. Ford the city, drop dead. Right. Yeah, we were that was I was a rough, it was a rough city then, man. I miss I miss New York line. I miss that. I miss 42nd Street. I don't know about you. Yeah, and no, I I there was something about learning to navigate through all of that that was it was like real, you know. And it wasn't too. Forty you know, Second Street is like Disneyland. Yeah, no, it's it's. I miss it too. I have to say, man. I mean, the, the people. I mean, they. I mean, their people just were born. You know, wasn't an era, but they missed it. Yeah, as we used to call it, the Forty Do Up. <laughs> That's right. Forty Do Up back in the day. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, when you when you, when you first made like your first movie, right? You you did. Uh, uh, Joe, you know, uh, the, the uh, no, the but that wasn't my first film. That was my your first, first film. My first film was the stuff I shot that summer in in, in New York. Right, it's called okay. Last Hustle in Brooklyn. That's your first film. Yes, and, and it was my my uh, professor. His name is Dr. Herb Eichelberger. Even though I was a Morehouse, even though I went to Morehouse, my major was across the street at Clark, at Clark College which is now at Clark University. Right. And people from Clark always get to me, say, you always talk about morals. You don't talk about where you where you got your major from. <laughs> and Dr. Herb Eichelberg, I went back to, up to that point, before I, John, before I left for summer, that summer, my advisor told me, when you come back after the summer in the fall semester, you, gotta, you have to declare a major. And I said, why? And, it, and the person said, because you exhausted all your electives. <laughs> See that? So when I came back, I declared mass communications, which is Clark College, film, television, journalism, print journalism, and radio. So I was a mass comm major, and I, I told Dr. Herb Eichelberger, Doc, I shot all this footage this summer, because when I was shooting this stuff that summer, I didn't know why. 
I know what I was doing to make a film was just to had nothing else to do. Right. I said, I got all this footage. And he said, why don't you try and make a documentary? I said, okay, that's a good idea. Because I hadn't thought about it. Right. And uh, he, he had, he taught Mondays. He only had his classes were Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And he would come in, Dr. Weikerberger would come in on days he wasn't getting paid for. He would come in on Tuesdays and Thursdays to unlock the film lab so I could edit. He wasn't getting paid for extra days. Right. And he was the one that said, you know, you, you can be a filmmaker. That's how it happened. But he just said he saw that right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I and I like to say this, John. I think that everybody, I think that everybody, not everybody, a lot of people who's successful, there was doesn't have to be a doesn't have to be a, a teacher, but there was one person right. that gave them that that encouragement. That's right. And and it sparks the fire. You only need one. That's right. Where's a a coach? The act and teach, whatever. Right, right. He says that you can do this. Because right. I, I think that also, another one of my many beliefs, Mr. Churl, <laughs> I think that we are all given God giving, we're all given, we all have God given gifts. But if you're not exposed, you might have a great gift, whatever it is. But if you're not exposed to it, right. You're, you're just not, you're never going to find out you had that gift. That's and I'm right. not talking about if you're seven feet, you know, we know you can play a sport, but I'm talking right. about, other, you know. That's right. That's right. That, that's a big thing in people's lives, having that one person. It only takes know. one. That's right. And yeah. for me, it was Dr. Herb Eichelberger. Right. Wow. Because I was not thinking about being a filmmaker. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. Had no idea. My, my, my freshman and sophomore year at Morehouse, I was a C plus D minus student. But after I declared a major, my junior seniors, I was A plus. Right. I didn't get any smarter. It's just I was not focused. In my freshman and sophomore year, I was drifting because I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. Right. I didn't have a clue. Well, so after I graduated Morehouse, I knew I, I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I knew that for African Americans at that time, you weren't gonna work, this route was not working your way up from the mailroom. Right. right. So I took, I studied my hero, Jim Jarmish. Jarmish was two years ahead of me at NYU. Ang Lee was my Ang Lee was a classmate of mine, class of 82. So was Ernest Dickerson. Right. But everybody in my class, Anita's, Jarmusch was our hero. We were way after Scorsese, way after Alva Stone. Right. So we, I mean, we loved them, but we didn't know them. Right. But we we saw, we knew Jarmusch. And so my goal was look what he did with Stranger in Paradise. Right. I knew I had to go to independent realm. So I want to go to film school. So the top three film schools, USC, Southern Cal, AFI, 
American Film Institute, both in, L both in LA and NYU. To get into USC and, and AFI, you had to get an astronomical score on the GRE. Mm -hmm. I took the GRE. I did not get that astronomical score. Right. But thank God for NYU. Grads, grads, because they 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 knew that sterilized testing should not be the how you determine yeah. where one could be a filmmaker. Right. Yeah, that's not a that's not a that's so not a great thank thing. God and, and then yeah. also I didn't know anybody in LA. I didn't even have my driver's license. At USC, it was like a studio system may have changed, but back then, everybody not everybody didn't get to make a film. Right. You had to submit your script, and then the, then the faculty decide. Right. NYU, everybody made a film. And what was the film you made at NYU? Oh, I did three. You did three. The first film was a film called The Answer. Right, to the... Which is about... Yes. <laughs> but here's something I left out. Like, I'm giving love to USC. I mean, I'm giving love to NYU. Right. But at NYU that time, at the end of the year, the faculty would screen films in the, the theater. It was called the, the, the Bijou. And they would kick out half the class. Right. Right, that that that's not that's the big thing in grad school. People don't know that, right? They will kick out, so they kick. So the screen of my my film is called The Answer. It's mm -hmm. about a young African American filmmaker, a writer director who's hired by a big Hollywood studio to do a big Hollywood remake of Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation, right? And the reason why I did that because we we I didn't I didn't have a problem, you know us. The, the faculty showing birth of a nation, right. it should be seen. But they didn't put in historical context. They talked about the great film and the, all they talked about was the great filmmaking of D.W. Griffin, sometimes called right. the father of cinema. I mean, he made up a film grammar that, I mean, that's a fact, no argument. But they left out a lot of shit. Yeah. The bigger thing is that the Ku Klux Klan was dormant until Birth of Nation came out. That gave that gave rebirth to the Klan, which consequently, black people died because of that movie. Right. Lynched, burned, whatever you want to say. That was not taught at all. So my my film, uh, the answer was reaction to that. Anyway, the faculty look. You know this story? No, it's just a great story. So it's the faculty. I wish I was there. I wish I was there and I just so flying the, the wall. See, they're screening the films, and at the end of each film, each of the student films, you're the first year only, because you made the cut the first year, you, you, you're good for the second and third year. So it's like it's like the Roman Empire, like the, the Coliseum. Thumbs up or thumbs down. So my the likes, the my the, they they saw my film, it's like he gotta go. Wow. And then someone that is still not found out. Somebody said, wait a minute. We can't kick Spike out. They said, why not? We don't like this film. He got to go. And someone said, 
we already gave him a TA ship for next year. And the reason we got the TA ship because I worked in the equipment room and now it's the hardest working motherfucker in the equipment room. Wow. I mean, I checked that equipment. John, what you tell you? I checked the equipment up. I, I was busting my ass. And then the so did you did you know who that person was? Did you find out? Who no, the I never I never been able to find out. A lot of people probably right. did. But they said we can't kick him out. Right. So that's how I stayed my second and third year. How many people were watching that film who say we don't want I guess even people? like the faculty, I could find out how many people in the faculty that year. Yeah. I guess like right. 10 to 15. Right. So my second year was a film called Sarah. Terrible film. And my third, my thesis film was a film called Joe's Best Side Barbershop, yeah, yeah. which won the Student Academy Award. Right. That's really right. And then after I've I won, seen the, that film. Really after I won the Student yeah. Academy Award, I was waiting by the phone. True story. I was waiting by the phone because I thought agents, studios, right. actors would call me. Because I won the Student Academy Award. And then, you know, funny thing happens when you wait on people. Well, number one, Brooklyn Union Gas can't wait. They turn the gas off. Right. <laughs> Todd Edison, don't play. They turned off electricity. So I was sitting in the dark with no gas and no lights. So I can't even see my student Academy Award. <laughs> True story. What did and you do? Then, and then I woke the fuck up and, 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 and said, yo, you gotta do it yourself. Right. These motherfuckers ain't calling you. Right. They're not checking for you. And this is like before everything's, you know, right. This back in the back back. We're talking like 82, 83. Right. Where the only African American director working the only African American director working regularly was was Michael Schultz, who was directing those hit films. Richard Pryor was a number was the biggest star in Hollywood. Right. I mean, Ozzy did a film. What didn't they do one film? Yeah, Ozzy directed, yeah. but Ozzy was before yeah. that. Ozzy. Yeah. Right. Directed films. Right. I'm not talking about. I'm talking. That's the generation before me, John. That was Ozzy. Right. You're right. You're talking about Peoples, right. Gordon yeah. Parks. Parks. 48. Right. Yeah. Mm. So wow. So <laughs> so so you realize that, that that this is the situation. Say so, okay, listen. I gotta like figure out my way. That's you know, it. Jim had done an independent movie. You know what I mean? And, and, and then so, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I got off track. With that stamp, with that student academy award, right? I got that can, that can happen. That can happen. I got big head because otherwise, right. I was on my Jim Jarmusch independent. Let's do it independent. Right. I won that student academy award. You know, I went for the okie doke. I got more. I got more. You I got right? bamboozled. Yeah, you got bamboozled by your statue. By your statue, do it's not, not worship. It's, not, it's, a, it's a plaque. It's not the. It's, it's not the Oscar. Oh, well, you know, mentally it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You know, okey doke. 
Have you ever gone back and looked at the answer and said, everybody wants to see that film, but a lot of the music wasn't clear. So I see, I see. It's unlocked. It's unlocked. Okay, you can show it to me one day. Yeah, I'll show it to you definitely. Let me know. Yeah. And so then you had to you know, write a script and kind of piece the whole thing together, right? I mean, like that's no one was coming gonna give you money for you know for she's gotta have it, right? Well, or you left something out. Go ahead. <laughs> you gotta say go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get to she's gotta have it? Hey, there's another film you John, I'm giving you you didn't know about. Okay. There was a film, there was a film before she's gonna have it that was a complete cluster. Is a film called Messenger. It's gonna start Lawrence Fishburne. No, Larry, like it was back then, it was Larry Fishburne. Right. It wasn't Lawrence then, not yet. Before he became Sir Lawrence. Yeah, it was it was Larry Fishburne and Giancarlo. I was gonna shoot it the summer of 84. And I had a crew. People turned down jobs to work in this film, and the money never came through. And the people, it was a complete disaster. And so I had to go, you know, I had to go underground, you know, reconfigure, reevaluate. And it was a very humble experience. I remember after assembling the cast and crew and telling them that there was no money and there's no money for the movie and there's no money for you to, for the amount of time you spend pre-production. Right. And at that time I was staying at my Uncle Cliff's house, my father's brother, who's the father of Malcolm Lee, filmmaker. That's my first cousin. Right. And you did. People are saying, damn, I didn't know that. Besides you, John, damn, I didn't know Malcolm Lee and Spike Lee were first cousins. Yeah. Yeah. Now you know. Did you know that? Yeah, of course Uh, I knew. You knew. So anyway, I went back to, I was staying in the basement of Uncle Cliff's house. And uh, I put water in, in, in in the bathtub. So I got in the bathtub, I was crying like a baby, like a newborn baby. And I stayed so long in the bathtub that the water drained out. So I was wrinkled like a California raisin. (laughs) True story. And then I had to be truthful to myself. Right. And and say, and look in the mirror or, or look at the, just look at myself, you know, I'm still in the bathtub. The mirror could work for the mirror. And just be very honest and, and go over how I felt. And it was the classic sense of the young filmmaker for that first film, you overreach. And I forgot one of the words, the many sayings that my grandmother would say. My mother, my grandmother put me through college. She lived to be 100 years old. She put me through Morehouse, put me through NYU Film School. I was, she, she saved up her social security checks for 50 years for her grandchildren. I was the firstborn, so I had first dips. And so 
she she went to college. She went to Spelman College where my mother went, even though her grandmother was a slave, but she still went to college. Think about that. She Her grandmother was a slave, yet she was able to go to college. And for 50 years, she taught art. And for 50 years, she never taught one white student because of Jim Crow laws in the state of Georgia. And for 50 years, she saved up a social security check for grandchildren's grandchildren's education. And I was the first grandchild. But one of her favorite sayings to me is like, Spiky, she called me Spiky. Even though my mother gave me the nickname, she said, Spiky. Because I'd be telling her, you know, my grandiose dreams. She always say, I support you, but you got to crawl before you walk. Think about that. That's right. Wise words. Crawl before you walk. Right. And wrinkle like a California raisin in this empty bathtub. I kept hearing my grandmother's words. And so I said, I'm going to give this, you know, I'm going to try this film one more time. I'm not going to have car chases in the script. The script of the film to get made, car chases, people jumping through roofs. You know, it, it, was a, it was a godsend that film got me. I wasn't equipped to do that right. stunts. It would have been right. a complete disaster. Now that would have been the end you, end you ever heard of Spike Lee, if you had heard. Anyway, I said, I had three years of film school. I have a master's in fine arts, film production. I should be able to write a script with three or four people in a room. All the other shit I want to do is going to have to wait. If this film's successful, that shit will come down the line. And that was, she's going to have it. But it really came out of you being in that bathtub. Yeah. And, and also, also, I got to give credit to uh, Jarmish for uh, being my hero. And also NYU, because I had never seen Rashomon before film school. Right. And that was the basis of she's got to have it. Right. Also, I'd never seen Breathless before. Right. Stylistically, right. that was, you know, she, the black and white, the, the editing. So right. those two films was a big influence on me for she's gonna have it, the first film, the first Spike Lee joint. Uh, Kurosawa's Rashomon and Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless. And for anybody out there who has not seen those films, shame on you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Just kidding. Yeah. But well, you're the, an interesting the, you gotta you gotta see you. I mean, I know some of the stuff is before you were born. Those, those are great. I, I know, great, I know, great I know films. it's, you know, some of the stuff in black and white, but great art, not just films, great art was made before you were born. That's right. That's right. Facts. That's right. Facts, the facts that lead on to something else. Nothing is, yeah. is brand new. Nothing is it's reinvented and taken and then reinterpreted. And that's really important. I mean, it's interesting because starting in such an intimate film, you know, you've gone from all different, you know, genres and stuff. And it's very interesting because you're a big film lover and how you take it and how you make it your own and incorporate it. You know, even though I've seen films that you reference a lot of times, I don't necessarily see the, the reference 
like, you know, in a didactic, you know, way. You, you just, it's kind of like a part of who you are. You know, well, you well, well you, John, you're, you're a, a, a witness to, you're a witness, John, to Charles Lawton's yeah. influence of Night and Hunter. Right. With, again, that's another film I saw at film school. Right. right. I never heard of Charles Lawton. Had yeah. never, I knew Robert Mitchum, but right. I never heard of that film to right. film school. Right. And when I saw Robert Mitchum as that Jack Lee murderous preacher right. have hate and love tattooed on his fingers, that clicked right away because at the time, the style was knuckle rings. Right. I said, damn, Ray Raheem's gonna wear that as we love and hate. And then on top of that, we, we, we used the sequence that scene written by James Agee. We changed a couple of words, but still the same thing. Right. Where I stopped, I'm on the way, I'm on, I'm ready to deliver some pizza. A pie. No, not a pizza, a slice from South Famous John. Only a slice you were delivering? No, no, the, the, the pizza pie. I'm delivering pizza pie. pie. <laughs> You're not delivering a slice, man. I'm wrong. <laughs> I delivered a, a pie. Yes, sir. Which a lot of times did not get to the customers hot. Right. Sometimes be warm or lukewarm or cold. <laughs> <laughs> Mookie was both. Yeah. <laughs> but well, on the way to deliver that pizza, I run into Ray Rahim, where he gives another great interpretation, the late great Bill Nunn. And hope right. you think I thought if you if you have a great story about Bill Nunn, I would love to hear it. But he gets was one of the gentlest, gentlest, beautiful souls yeah. out there. I mean, you couldn't have had a more like gentle guy, you know, and good sense of humor, and uh, you know. So he gave his interpretation of Robert Mitchum from uh, Night of the Hunter. In your films, I guess a lot of people want to know because you tackle different genres. Do you prepare? I mean, a lot of people asking questions. They want to know how you prepare differently, you know, for each film. If it's more, you know, comedic. If it's more, you know. Oh, I prepare by what the film is. Right. But no matter what the film is, I'm gonna be paired. Right. I whatever the subject matter, something I don't know. I become a student. Books, films, magazines, speaking to the, here's the key thing, if you can, it's not always possible, but speaking to the witnesses, there's something you get from, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I think what made for me, Red so strong, Warren Beatty's great film. Is yeah, that, I agree with that. He had the real motherfuckers. Right. The, when you have witnesses, people who see with their own eyes, and not in them here's hearsay second, third, you know, uh -uh. like they were there. Right. They know. They know they were there. And like when people are there, you can't tell them a mother thing. It's like <laughs> mother was there. Where were you? <laughs> like, okay. And then, that happens to me. Sometimes we say, like, bah, 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 bah. they look at me, Spike. You weren't even born. Shut up. I'd be like this. Excuse me. Okay. But that's an interesting thing, you know, in so many of your movies, and not, not all of them, but a lot of them, you know, because people say, well, he also makes documentaries. But I think you also love to, you know, blend the 
that genre all the yeah, time. Most, because most even case would be uh, the Bloods. And so, John, right. this, I'm, glad, I'm glad you asked that question because I think sometimes, not all the time, I think sometimes we as artists put handcuffs on ourselves. Right. So I didn't want to do it. I'm a filmmaker. So for me, filmmaking is storytelling. So I'm telling the story when I did those commercials with the goat. Right. Michael Jordan, the goat. <laughs> the goat. <laughs> I'm not no, disagreeing. Not, not hating on LeBron. Right. <laughs> Love him. But best me, everybody got there. Look, I got. I think Willie Mays is the greatest player ever. All the people gonna say that, you know what they want. Right. right. But we all have, you know, everybody has their own opinion, you know. And we, and, and for me, I'm a filmmaker. So whether it's a thirty was a thirty second commercial Michael Jordan or a short film, I was told to use the term short film by Michael Jackson. He says Spike. We're not doing music videos. We're doing short films. I'm not trying to personally name it. So short films with, with Public Enemy, right. Michael Jackson, Prince, Miles Davis. I mean, Eminem. These are people that have you know, done stuff with. Uh, or documentaries like uh, Four Little Girls. Well, the, the two docs on uh, Katrina. Katrina. And... and, and uh, Feature films for me is all storytelling. So in my mind, I'm a storyteller. So I don't get, I don't have to trip about going from a commercial to a feature film to a documentary. It's not like I'm um I gotta switch hats. Right. I keep the same hat on because it's storytelling. Right. But in, within that storytelling, I think you're you're one of the people, you're quite free. You'll say, you know what, I'm gonna put this in. Is like a real person talking, and then I'm going to go, you know, back into the, the fictional narrative. Yeah. And I, I don't, you, you seem not to be inhibited by like saying, well, no, this has to be just fiction, you know, well, this nonfiction, you know. Well, my wife tells me, you know, Tanya, sometimes their discussions, right? Turtle, well, you know what, baby, I think you went too far. <laughs> but Tanya's. There, look, it's good, as you know, John, it's good to have somebody there like, to have, you know, frank conversations. Yeah. They, 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 here's the thing, though. When those conversations come out of love. It's different. It's different. Right. Now, it ain't love, like, I ain't hearing that shit. Yeah, I know, that I know, that I know very well. That I know very well. We both know it. Yeah. We both know it. No, I mean, I am this. So talking about that, you know, when you when you have a disagreement or you see things differently, when you work with writers, for example, right? There's sometimes, you know, when you say, okay, you have your script and then you try it out, you say, well, that doesn't really, that doesn't work as good as we thought it did. You know, you're talking this, about they, co-writing a script? Yeah, when you co-write a script and then you hear it out loud. And this is people are interested in and in, in your and in how you deal with that. And it's okay. not everything you maybe you imagined it to be. So I can't I kind of know the answer, but these are people I know you gotta ask some questions that you know the answer. No, 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 no. I, but here's the thing, though. 
And, and this answer, John, is applicable. You know, you know the word. It applies <laughs> to whether it's solo authorship or or or, or, or co-writing. The key for me is the read through. Right. With the taking out hearing the words I might have heard during the, the words in the scenes that were used for auditioning. Right. Leave those up, leave that out. The read through is the first time I'm hearing that words by the actors who are gonna be in this thing. Right. And for me, that's another rewrite right there. Right. I'm like, because there is, there's, a, there's something I've never been able to explain, John. Maybe you can help me. Reading dialogue in your head yeah. and hearing it is completely things. two different things. Right. You could write some, oh man, this is a good line. Right. And the read through, like, It could be a bad reading too. You got to give no, yourself. Yeah, I, but, but I, I agree with you. Even if you I, read it's it, not, laughing, read, it's not the it's not the actors. It's yeah. for me. Yeah, the right. it's the writing. Right. But you've you've used. I don't know how you do that now, but you've used the read through. You've used rehearsal yeah. much more than a lot of modern directors do. You you you've kind of. I know initially you had like a little laboratory, you know what yeah. I mean? That was there, kept playing around. And that's something that obviously is very useful for you. Very much so. And, and, and also, you know why? You know what the biggest reason, John? I didn't come from a theater background. Right. So, you know, we gotta, you know, we gotta, we, and then also, I understand that we're all working on a job. We all want to do the best we can, but we want to be doing eight-hour motherfucking days. I mean, 12, 10, 12 hours. Let's, John, you know what I'm talking about. You, 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 you've been there, numerous films. Let's hit it. Let's quit it. Come to set prepared. We're not doing no three, four hours in the motherfucking hair and makeup. We're not doing that. We're, we're, well, that's why I like to work with you, man, because you, you just get on, you get on with it. An yeah. hour after call. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, and, and, and you need, if you need more than a long time for hair and makeup, the yeah, it's got to come in early. Right. You get an early curl, you get an early call time. <laughs> <laughs> John, you know, we don't play that. No. Well, I, 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 I like living like that because you realize this this guy I'm in his business. I mean, you're like you're you, you continue the Sydney Lament type of thing. Like we got to get on with it and we better hit it. Everybody, go. everybody yeah. has lives. Go home. Yeah. At a decent hour. Have dinner. Yeah. And then, I, John, how, I agree John, with you. This though, how many days did, did we have where we're going home at lunchtime or like <laughs> and back in the day? Yeah. The oh, Knicks yeah. were good, and there's a playoff game. Yes. People <laughs> looking at like, I hope the Knicks are oh, the Knicks are home. Yeah. They're at the Garden <laughs> to get some bulls. Oh, we're going home early today. <laughs> yeah. Right or wrong, John? Yeah, we would. We would go, man. That's it. 
I was at a lot of those games. Woody Allen did the same thing. Yeah, yeah. On the Woody Allen film, if the Knicks were home in the playoff game, right. that was it. Go home early. Go home early. <laughs> All right. So what? Let me ask you another question that people are uh, curious about. What happens when you're doing a scene and it's a really like an example of a difficult scene you have to shoot and maybe say it's not working, or you have an actor who is really, really resistant to you. What is your advice to these, you know, to people who, you know, are going to face that? Great question. A lot of that could be avoided if you rehearse. So look, every, all actors are different and people are going to react to stuff differently. So the point is, I'm going to give you an example too, because you were there. You have, if there are any problems, they have to be worked out and they should be worked out in rehearsal and not blow up in front of cast and crew. Right. John, you're a witness. The summer of 1988 in Sal's famous pizzeria, right. me and Danny Aiello went at it. Randy Fletcher. No, look, God bless Danny. Love him. But but Danny's talked about some public too, so this ain't a secret. Right. No, right. Yeah. Randy Fletcher had to clear the set. Yep. I was, I was John, there. am I lying? No, I was right. I was there. The set had to be cleared. Yeah. Because it, it was getting a little tense. And, well, I, and Danny I, and I right. we worked it out. Now, yeah. I would love if, if, if his difficulty with that scene would have, been, would have happened in rehearsal, in rehearsal. but right. whatever happened, it happened there. Right. And the set had to be cleared. Yes. Yeah. That was the only time that in that movie. Yeah. It was all love after that. Yeah, there was no... And, 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 until, you know, you know, I want to say this, and I'm not bragging. But I was one of the last people to speak to Danny before he left us. We, you know, politically, we were like far apart, but right. me and Danny, we loved each other. We, I mean, we became tighter after. After, right. After the movie. Right. So in no way, shape, or form, you might take this as uh Right. You know, any way, any other way than love for Danny Allen. Yeah. I know we were. We both went to see him, you know, for his, we spoke together. Yeah, we spoke his and, memorial. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, all yeah. love, all yeah. love. And people know, the people know. Of, of, uh, you know, everyone talks about music in your movies. I mean, obviously, your dad was a musician. You grew up with a lot of music. You know, uh, I, I, you you just did a musical, David Byrne. Yeah. Maybe we want to do another music. I know that you're a big musical lover. Yeah, you know you're a sports lover, but I know that you love musicals too. Right. And, you know. Uh, well, so, my love, my love of music comes again comes from my father. My right. father's name is Bill Lee, a great jazz bassist, but also a folk bassist. And one time. In the, in the height of the folk era, my father was a top folk bassist. My father 
play with Bob Dylan, Judy Collins, Peter and Paula Mary, Gordon Lightfoot, wow. Theodore Bikel, Josh White. I mean, he was the guy. Right. You go look at those albums. My father's playing on those albums. There's, always forget this album. There's one Bob Dylan album. There's one, I always forget the, the name. I can see the, the picture of the album cover, but there's one album where, with the exception of Bob Dylan, my father's the only other musician on it. Right. The whole album. So a thing happened. When Bob Dylan, and, and I also like to say, so my father's the top folk bassist, so he's making money. So my mother, my late mother doesn't have to work. She's going to Lord and Taylor and Bloomingdale's to shop and stuff. My father's making money. Bob Dylan goes electric. Everybody goes electric. They want to hire my father, but my father to this day has never played Fender bass. He refused to play electric bass. <laughs> so at this time, my father had five children. So my mother had to work. She started to teach at St. Anne's. Right. She's, She's one, one of the first teachers. One of the first teachers at St. Anne's. Right? Yeah, St. Anne's under the great uh, Stanley Bosworth. So my father, my mother had to teach. Then, so anybody's that's seen Crooklyn, Alfie right. Werder is playing my mother. Right. And Delroy is playing my father. <laughs> and it was, it was rough. I mean, my mother was trying to end, you know, God bless her. After working all day, coming home, the, the you know, markup papers, she had to cook and clean. And he was not playing electric bass. So as I've grown up, I've, I've, I've gotten older, understood like he had principles. He was not gonna play, you know, he's a jazz bassist. He was not gonna play any electric instrument or be involved in any electric instrument. You call it, he called it tone as is. My father's still alive. But on the other hand, I knew the hardship my mother was going through because she was the breadwinner. Right. And, and, and in fact, that's where, you no. Know, in fact, I uh, originally, Crooklyn, my, my siblings, Sankey and Joao wrote that script. The right. original script was called Hot Peas and Butter. They brought it to me, you know, we wrote it together and, you know, and I, I renamed it Crooklyn, but Crooklyn is the Lee family right. growing up in Brooklyn. Fort Greene, my mother was a visionary. We, we, John, you know this, so. We were the first black family in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. Cobble Hill's right by the water where the docks are. And traditionally, the docks were Italian-American. So people walk to work from, they can walk two, three, four blocks from Cobble Hill, right. go to the docks. So the Lees were the first black family in Cobble Hill. So that is why Italian Americans, as yourself, <laughs> I grew up with them. Like Danny, like Danny Ellis said, and do the right thing. I love these people. They grew up by, by pizza. It's not the same thing, but right. anyway. Right. So my mother, being a visionary, said, "You know what? I'm tired of paying rent. I want to own a. I said, she said, I always want to own a brownstone. 
So we bought our brownstone where my father still is in 1960 at Fort Greene for $45,000. Back then, bro, real estate brokers would even say, they would even, they would even use the name Fort Greene. They would say downtown vicinity. <laughs> and back then, Murder Avenue, excuse me, back, back then, John, it, was, it wasn't called Myrtle Avenue. It was called Murder Avenue. Murder Avenue, yeah. So I've seen in the, the, my, my, where I'm right here, we're in Fort Greene. So I've seen the neighborhood change. But from my father, I got my love of music. And also, you know, if you believe in something, right. you know, you got to stay with it. Well, you, you've had- I'm very, you know, But here's the thing though, I'm a product of my mother and my father, not just either right. one. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. to, you know, it might be opposite, but they came together, you know, on me. That's right. So, and it, it, so I mean, I, you know, I live in Manhattan now. Oh, here's another thing. <laughs> and, and I, that's okay. <laughs> so people ask me, why did I leave my beloved Brooklyn? Well, everybody in the public of Brooklyn knew where I lived. Right. Because I bought a brownstone yeah. on Washington Park, but between Willoughby and Decal. I grew up on Washington Park between Willoughby and Myrtle. Everybody in Brooklyn knew where I lived. And at the time, we just had Tanya. I mean, excuse me, at the time, Tanya just had our first daughter, Satchel. Right. And people were ringing the bell three, four in the morning. A lot of times, you know, I'm out of town. And finally, my, my Tanya said, look, you have to make a choice. And you know how Tanya looks, John. She said, you have to make a choice, Spike. You have a daughter that's seven months old and your wife or Brooklyn. Make a choice. And a lot of times, the people ringing the bell, they even know me. They don't know me. My 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 my, my, my will answer the, the intercoms. Who is this? Whatever crazy name. Uh, uh, is Spike here? Spike's not here. How do you know Spike? Well, my second cousin was in kindergarten with him. Yeah. Well, that's the type of shit it was. Yeah. So yeah. I had to move, but with, with the or the the office is still in Fort Greene. Right. And first, you know, John. It used to be the firehouse. Right. I know the firehouse, the old firehouse cross street directly from Brooklyn Hospital, right. where my mother died. And also my brother, you know, you were, right there across, so I, I passed Brooklyn Hospital right. every day. And, and during the height of the COVID, and, oh, not, the, not COVID-19, but you know, in the hood, they call it that 19, <laughs> that Rona. <laughs> During the height, they had to get two refrigerator trucks, John. I know. Then the height of, you know, people here in New York, that was crazy, that episode. Yeah. I know we got a little track. That's all right. That's all right. No, no, no. Wait, I was just going to ask you. To answer two. your question, my oh, love of musicals comes from. No, I just. love music I, I and just, my mother and my mother, my late mother taking me to see musicals. Right. I, you know, I know that you, there's been lots of projects that you wanted to do, 
over the years is and that you you had full scripts for uh, good good scripts uh, big scripts uh, and you didn't get a chance to do that and maybe one other person did it you know uh, but is Double there one person did it. Yeah. But is there one that you felt like that you feel still feel like you know what I really yes. I really would I really want to do this film someday you know well let me answer before I get that answer I'll give you another answer first a quick answer during the height of the pan pandemic here in New York City when New York City was the epicenter right I had a lot of time to myself a lot of time to reflect John and reflect not only about my life, the world, my family, but also about my past and the heartbreaks too. And one of the biggest heartbreaks was not getting to do Jackie Robinson. And thinking about that, I released the script for that on Instagram, the script. The other, I'm not gonna call it a heartbreak. I'll just call it a pause. One of my dear friends became Bud Schilberg, right. one of the great writers of all time. Uh, people don't notice, but Bud Schilberg is in the Boxing Hall of Fame as a writer. Bud wrote the phenomenal novel, What Makes Sammy Run. Mm -hmm. Also wrote one of my favorite films on the waterfront. Mm -hmm. Another one of my favorite films that came right after that, that was A Face in the Crowd. Yeah. And Bud is a boxing addiction. And we became very good friends. And we co-wrote a script called Save Us Joe Lewis right. about the friendship between Joe Lewis and Max Schmeling, two heavyweight champs. Bud was at both fights in Yankee right. Stadium. And and I really believe this, John, because Bud died like he was 98. What kept him going alive for the last two years of his life was the hope that we would get this film made. He would call me periodically. Spike, have you gotten the money yet? Spike, have you gotten the money yet? I mean, he wasn't bugging me. It's just that that was his enthusiasm. Right. He wanted to get this film done before he left us in, in his physical sense. And I made a promise to Bud, I'm gonna keep that promise. You ever read the script? Yep. I know a lot it's about epic. the subject matter and, and that's why I brought it up. So I'm, I'm not gonna give it away, but yeah. Epic. It's a great story. It's a great story. It was a, a seminal I mean, you're, event. You're, you're a boxing fictional yourself. Yeah. yeah, so no, it's, yeah. That's why I brought it up. I wanted you to, to speak yeah. about those things. Cause I, I think people imagine you now that you know that you know you 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 were this trailblazer you, you had all this success and it's been this straight you know linear upward trajectory and i don't think people realize you know the the ups and the twists and turns and the oh, ups yeah. and downs and uh you know oh I'm, i mean i'll be the first person to tell anybody that you know a lot of people not like a lot of my films you know and and I, I'm okay with that. I think that as artists, you do the best you can. Right. The, the, your art is like your child, go out into the world and you can't control how people are gonna react, you know, to 
to your art. So, you know, when, I'm, always you, like, I'm, always, I'm always like, on to the next. Yeah, you're, like, no, no. you're like Sugar Ray Robinson because when he like lost the middleweight championship, then he would come back and he would regain it. He did it yeah. like five times. So you have... You, yeah, you, that would be... You know what? That's... I mean, I, look. I'm going to do this Joe Lewis film, Max Mellon. But the Joe... Uh, the, 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 the Sugar Ray... Robinson, oh, that film, whoo, Lord. Wow, that's, he was the best. He that's was another the, one. He was like, you know, one of the, I mean, th th that's another thing that you're very, you know, interested in, you know, but you've, I mean, you haven't really made that many, I mean, you made Malcolm X, basically, right? I mean, uh, you know, which I yeah, know. That was, yeah, that's really like the only biopic. Right. No, I mean, Black Clans a little bit. A little bit, right. But it's not, you know, yeah. Okay. Let me ask you about a film that now everyone is, talks about. And I remember seeing uh, a rough cut of, because I always see your rough cuts. You, if, you're remember, you always, if you're available, if you're available, you're on the list. Yeah, I always come. Let me see uh, if John's going to, you yeah, know. Yeah. Because the thing about you, John, even though we're friends, we love each other, if there's something, you not hold back. I love you for that. Well, you, you just you try know, to you say, Spike, come here. You're Spike. Come here. Like, I'll call you. I'll... Yeah, yeah. Oh, hear what you say is. I'll call you when I get home. Yeah. <laughs> ring, ring, ring. All right, John. What is it? <laughs> oh, we're friends of four. Yeah, John, oh. swear to God, I'm on the phone. I'm writing that down. Okay. Well, I'm writing that. Yeah. I write. I write your notes down, and they, in the next day, in the editing room, we're implementing <laughs> your notes. And wow. I say, my yeah. man John Turo has his note. Let me see the cut. <laughs> All right, that's good. Oh, I like that. All right, All we're right. doing that. Well, I wanted to just ask you about, because I, I've read about it so many times right now, like people have like re-valued uh, all of a sudden or looked at it again in a different way. And when it came out, it, it, it bypassed everybody, which was Bamboozle. And I remember seeing that movie and I remember, you know, the whole big blackface uh, uh, sequence that you had. And I just was, I, that's like something that, like I never forgot. I mean, I'm not saying that to blow smoke up your bum. You know what I mean? That was like just John. John. I was thinking this is one John, of the biggest John, things that I, you know. John, me and you always keep it one hundred. You don't have to say that. We keep yeah, yeah. one hundred. One hundred. <laughs> so, but uh, and I, I remember like I, that that the appreciation wasn't the love wasn't wasn't people great. hated that film. Right. And now people are saying if they could make a movie as good as Bamboozled, to, I mean, oh. maybe it's on, I know it's on Criterion and maybe people are watching it again. But, but you took a subject matter that was like the biggest thing in America. I mean, people, you know, it was like the biggest form of entertainment in America. And you, shows. yeah, and you, and it's, it still has affected entertainment, you know, forever, you know, from that. That time, I mean, until now. Uh, yeah. And I, was some? Does that bring you now? Do you go? You say, oh well, now they got it. 
Now, does that bring you any, I just was curious. Uh, and, and that's a very good question. You know, I'm not gloating. Right. Look, people, but John, I, I'm going to give you, we can say the same thing about do the right thing, John, uh, Joe Klein, oh, I David Debbie. They said this film wrote articles that this film was going to cite African Americans to riot. Right. They were telling the white readers, hope to God this film doesn't open up in your neighborhood. That's right. The, 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 if, if, if this if blood is going to be in my hands. Right. I'm, you listen, know, I, so I never so used to that. That was right. 1989, you know. Right. And, mm. and then, you know, I didn't get no consideration from the DGA. Peace and love, that was a long time ago. You guys weren't around. Right. You know, we well, were the Oscars. Yeah. You know, we, we got nominated. I got for best original, best yeah. original screenplay in the late great Daniello yeah. for... We didn't get best picture, his, best director. Thing, no. And I, I, Danny was great, but when I saw Glory and Denzel has that scene where he's being whipped, right, you knew that that tear comes down his eye. I was like, "It's over." <laughs> John, oh, not O V R, O V A H, over, over, <laughs> over. So, and then, and then, even bigger than that, John. What won, what won Best Picture? Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy. So you know, what were the what even what what were the other nominees that you, I don't remember? Nine. At all. No, but anyway, well, oh, I know I it's what won. Yeah, well, what won isn't what was remembered. You know, isn't that, I mean that's an interesting thing. Yeah. You, can, you can see in the obituary this won this, but you know your film. You know, people are talking about it right now you know and do the right thing is is like as i used to say torn from today's headlines right. i wrote this film in 88 came out 89 but what what here's something i want to throw at you just I, I think it's underestimated in your work actually is that your sense of humor in a, in in a lot of films is paramount to even the dramatic part of the story. And I really feel it's vastly underrated because like do the right thing when you watch it, you're laughing your ass off to Funny a AF. certain point. And then you stop and you're like, oh, that maybe I, you know. So is that something that, I mean, I, that's I think really important in your work, isn't it? Oh yeah, but that's, uh, but that, I mean, here's the thing in film school, I saw Network. I mean, let's, let's talk, let's talk uh, Lomet. You just said Lomet, Sydney. Right. Serpico's a funny movie. Dog Afternoon is funny. That's right. Network, oh my God. I right. mean, Kachevsky's script. Right. And, and, and I did not make this up, John. There's always been great films that had, had very serious subject matter and humor. But right. here's the key. Everybody's listening to this, especially young filmmakers with humor and serious subject matter, you have to get the right balance. Because right. it tips all one way, right. tips all the other way, you're sunk. Right. So 
And that's something I really try to get better. But yet because, and that's not saying, oh, I do it because I want to put a little. No, it's natural you know, for you. A spoonful of, what was that? A spoonful of sugar makes a, you know, yeah. <laughs> Mary Poppins. No, I, I think you like the, 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 the juxtaposition, the contradiction. There you life. go. You know, you you love the contradiction of that stuff, and yeah. you know how people. I mean, you were talking about cultural appropriation a long time ago. You know, we just didn't use the word for it, but you yeah. you, you were like, you know, uh, you're talking about things that you know. I think like now when people say, "Well, we gotta have these conversations," and you were actually, you know, kind of putting that out on the table in a in a way yeah, that. John, you were there right. I've been in the middle of it. Because, we had, John, we had rehearsals. Talking about the script. You were not crawled up in the corner. No, <laughs> oh, yeah. When you saw something that, no, 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 I'm, right. I'm, I mean, I want people to hear this. Right. Not just not just do the right thing, but any film we did. If you had a, a thought that could make the scene, the dialogue, whatever it was, you say it. Yeah. And the thing about it, you knew that you had the green light because yeah. it's coming from a place of love. Look, like we're here. If we got it, was, I wasn't gonna be like, you know, I gotta dot every T or you know, nah. I'm, I'm like, yo, we're trying to win. And if if anybody can contribute, right. I'm, you know. Thank you're one of the only directors who. You're Thank one you of the, that note. Let's go. Yeah. You're one of the only directors that, uh, when you were writing, I remember this when we were, you were writing Jungle Fever, you came over my house and you interviewed me. But you knew I grew up. <laughs> like, like we're the same. We're the same age, and I grew up like in a in a black neighborhood, and you grew up, you know, with these Italian Italians, and you wanted to know about all my experiences and my interracial yeah. relationships. And so I talked to you and, and you and you had it uh, transcribed. It was like 55 yeah. pages, but it was all like really personal stuff. And I, and I felt like, you know, it was so easy for us by then because we had done uh, a couple of movies together and been through uh, all kinds of stuff, Mo Better Blues. No <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 Better. You know, <laughs> you know, but uh, I've had a very interesting, you know, perspective. But that was like really rare. I remember that uh, conversation, and I was like, "Wow, you know, use whatever you want to use." You know, I don't really, you know, uh, and, I, and that's and another again, underrated movie too. Yeah, and, and yeah. I want to thank you for being open. You know, like, look, you, I would have been cool if you had said, "Spike, you know what? You know, I'm really, I don't want, I don't, I don't want, I don't want, I can't, I don't want to tell you that." But you did, you know. So, thank you. Well, what was your? Would you? Would you have a? You know, some of my favorite scenes in Jungle Fever, John, is the candy store. <laughs> <laughs> That's. <is a laughs> yeah. I love the. I love. Would you vote? Yeah, I vote. Rudy, 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 Rudy. <laughs> well, that that came out of oh, a lot of rehearsals. Let's name. Let's name there. Who was there? My brother Nicholas, uh, Michael Baluco, Steve Renzato, Renzato, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, oh man. The little guy Joey, you forget his name. Uh, Renzato. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. We, it was. 
But we had a great time in the rehearsal of that whole thing. You know, it was uh, yeah, yeah. That was a, that was a really fun. Uh, and we got to work with Anthony Quinn too. So that was oh, I as you know, I don't know if you know this, but I have a picture of you and Anthony Quinn that you both signed. Yeah, I have it too. Here. I have it too. Yeah, it was really fun. It was fun. I mean, the guy worked with everybody. Yeah, sto- he he had you had to add to be had to be disciplined because I would just stay talking to him. Yeah. Well, we had to shoot because he has stories. My God, yeah, it's and he worked with, and he worked with everybody. Everybody he worked from like James Cagney to Fellini to you know David and Lee. Also, John, John, he worked with a lot of actresses too. Oh my God, <laughs> he shared a lot of intimacies. He said to me, he said, "Well, you know, Johnny, I can tell you everything. Is it because you're not my real son? You know what I mean? I can tell you whatever. You know everything. You know and he." I was like, whoa, man, this guy had a lot of experiences. <laughs> Woo, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was really. Well, he could a tell a story, though. He could tell a story. Yeah, he could. Yeah, he could. He was really. So are, are we winding down now? Are they, are they telling us to. Yeah, I to, think they got us on the clock now. On five minutes? So you want to, like. So let's just talk about your last movie that you did, just for a couple of minutes. Well, I'm, I'm just, I would just like to say. Uh, Chadwick, my Tanya, my wife and I, we had seen the film numerous times, but we, we, we looked at it again after Chadwick left us in his physical sense. And it, it, I mean, it, it was great, but looking at it now, it just takes it a whole level because part of the film, he's playing the ghost anyway. Right. And, it, and it, this is my belief. I don't have any, I, I didn't, look, first of all, I didn't know he was sick. Right. I didn't know. Right. And I now I think now that, I think he thought this is gonna be his last film. But God gave him one more, Mount Rainey. Mount Rainey, yeah. Directed by George Wolf. Right. Which is coming out, so I'm, yeah. I'm Directed by, excuse me, produced by Denzel Washington. Right. So, and I love the Broadway play, August Wilson. Right. Me too. So he got another film in, and mm-hmm. God bless him. Oh. Chadwick. Beautiful actor. Yeah, I, I never got to meet him in person, but he seemed like a really beautiful person. And then I want, I would like to end, John, on uh, our friend, Thomas Jefferson Bird. He was in... Errol Barnes and Errol Barnes and Clockers, Clockers, Honeycut, and Bamboozle, Sweetness. He got game. I mean, for those who don't know, uh, Thomas Jefferson Bird, great actor, was murdered like two weeks ago in Atlanta, Georgia. They found the murderer, but uh, shot in the back. I mean, just horrible. And we got to do something about these guns. I mean, these guns out of control. Absolutely. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining this intimate conversation between two guys who love each other from, who love each other. And I think that you heard two artists 
that respect for each other, love each other, and love what we do. And everybody wear a mask, go out and vote, be safe, and uh, two fingers, peace. <laughs> love you. John, love you, baby. I'll see you soon. Be back in New oh, yeah, York. Yeah, be safe, be safe. See you back, okay? okay? All right. Bye -bye. Take care. Love Bye -bye. to the family. That wraps up this exclusive discussion with Spike Lee. If you'd like to hear more from the Craft of the Director series, check out episode 265, which features director Ang Lee discussing his extensive filmography. Or visit our YouTube page to find discussions with David O. Russell, Leslie Linka-Gladder, and Guillermo del Toro. The Director's Cut is available wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally 